This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 286. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by the illustrious Matthew Marister. What's up, man? Dude, I'm super stoked and excited. Like in eight days, I think it is, I'll be saying, seeing you in person, man. Yeah, yeah. You'll, uh, we'll be all hanging out at the SHOT Show, which is exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, man, I, I'm super excited. Folks, you, you'll have to follow us uh, throughout the week of SHOT Show. And if you're if you're unfamiliar, was it from the 20th or 21st or something? Um, the, the week of the, the, whatever week the 20th or 21st lands in, that whole week is basically SHOT Show week for us. SHOT Show actually starts on Tuesday of that week, lasts through Friday. Uh, Monday of that week is what they call Industry Day at the Range. That's where all the media people get to go and check out the latest and greatest guns and accessories and things at the range and actually shoot them and play with them. And we'll be doing a lot of video and stuff there. Uh, we'll be doing that all week long. And also some podcasting while we're there as well. We'll be podcasting f- so far from Glock, uh, HK. Um, we're working on, like, we got the OK, I think, from Springfield Armory. We did that last year with them. Um, but but I haven't got like, the date and time locked down with them yet. So we're working on that one. And I feel like maybe I'm missing one, but uh, and then the the ladies over at the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast, they, they're going to be all over the place, and they're doing a bunch of interviews throughout the week of Shot Show, and then Sunday that begins that Shot Show week. That's actually normally not a day for most people that attend Shot Show, but Sig Sauer always does a really awesome media day event on Sunday, so it's a long flipping week for us <laughs> and Matthew's about to find out for the first time ever uh, just dude you're going to be like drained by the end of that week in fact by Wednesday or Thursday you're going to be like what am I doing <laughs> you're going to need to take my vitamins man <laughs> and make sure I'm you have some old. good shoes <laughs> yeah because you'll walk about 100 miles that week I swear Nice. I got my Fitbit, so I'll get my allocation up for the whole month. (laughs) But folks, uh, make sure you're following our website. Make sure you're following our Facebook page. We'll be doing a lot of uh, live uh, stuff uh, while we're there during the week. Uh, Make sure you're also following our YouTube channel. And you can go and so go to YouTube, look up concealedcarry.com. Like if you write it out, concealedcarry.com. That's our YouTube channel. I don't know why. We couldn't think of something better, apparently. I think we tried to get con- just Concealed Carriers, our YouTube channel, and for some reason they wouldn't let us do it or somebody else had it. I don't know. Anyway, make sure you go to the YouTube channel and and subscribe and follow us. We'll be doing we'll be publishing videos as, as quick as we can of the coolest and latest and greatest stuff from SHOT Show all week long, uh, including Industry Day, including the six-hour day. SIG, I mean, we, we had the Guardian Nation live event, Matthew, with uh, Phil Strader not yes. too long ago and he he kind of said hey you know we're, we're gonna have some stuff uh some things i know we're gonna see is the p365 will come now with a well it'll have the option for a manual safety um i don't really care but for some people that's a thing so you know that they they just announced that and i'm pretty sure we'll get our hands on and see that yeah, i'm not expecting you know anything like Super amazing about that, but we'll you know we'll report on it and say, hey, look, manual safety. Um, what else? Um, oh, Sig just also announced uh, some little uh, 
it's basically an MPX, but it's even smaller and more compact than their standard MPX and stuff. Uh, Springfield Armory's announced some stuff a little bit ahead of time. Colt has done the same. Glock, of course, we're expecting to see the 43X and the 43, or excuse me, the 48. And I'm expecting, hopefully, to see maybe some other models from Glock because, you know, they generally kind of march their way up the numbers, you know, 41, 42, 43. And then they all of a sudden jumped to the 45, which was the basically the kind of the civilian version of the 19X. And then they, you know, with a few other little tweaks, and then they jumped to the 43X, which that's, you know, that they didn't really jump to that, I guess. They just made an X version of it, a longer grip version of the 43. And then they announced the 48. So where, where's the 44? Where's the 46? And where's the 47? Right? You know what I mean? Like, so are we going to see a Glock 44? Are we going to see a 46, a 47? I don't know. I'm hoping to. And... Uh, is it Brandy? I think Brandy over, yeah, Brandy over at uh, Glock is kind of, she hasn't said one way or another, but she's, I, I'm feeling like if I read between the lines in her emails, there's going to be something. <laughs> so it's going to be super exciting, guys. Uh, if you, if you like guns, if you, especially if you're in handguns, concealed carry guns, uh, there's going to be some cool stuff we'll be covering while we're all week long while we're at the show. So make sure you're following our YouTube, our Facebook, all that stuff. And also the podcast, and share it with your friends. Okay, you know, get the word out of concealedcarry.com and all of our pages and channels and stuff, and and let them know that like there's from some freaking cool stuff going on over here. All right, hey folks on uh, Facebook, uh, Scott and James and uh, Sean and Charlie and Elkie, everybody uh, and and Dreama and Dreama. We were chatting before we actually started recording the episode, and she says she's a she. Dreama, your your profile pic was a, a lady and a man together, so you know that's why and I've never heard the name Dreama. It sounded like a, a lady's name, but you never know, right? I don't want to assume, especially in this day yeah. and age. Right. <laughs> so, hey, today we got some great uh, content coming. Today is this is the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide Part Four. Yes, Part Four. I'm super excited. Uh, episode two sixty two is Part Three. Uh, so not too long ago, uh, we've managed to put together some more things. We got some listener submitted suggestions, and uh, we added a few more things to the pot. So we'll talk about some other things that hopefully is helpful, especially for new- for newer uh, concealed carriers. But really, there should be something here for everybody in today's episode. Um, and, and if you want to go back, if you've missed episodes or the the parts one, two, and three. Episode 138, correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew. Episode 138 was part one of the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide. Episode 252 was part two. And episode 262 was part three. And here we are at episode 286. So, yeah. Um, Scott says he just got back from the Arvada Pistol Club. Nice, dude. That's that's awesome. You, you, you're, lucky you, you're lucky you didn't run into Jacob while you were there because, <laughs> you know... I don't know why I said that, but yeah, you're just <laughs> lucky you didn't run into him. Anyway, <laughs> no, actually, you're unlucky. You, you could have bumped into him there, that's for sure. So uh, anyway, today, once again, the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide Part 4. Um, today's episode is made possible by Ammo Supply Warehouse. You see I'm sporting their uh, shirt here, and uh, we just love the guys. Uh, uh, Becker, uh, Butch Becker over there, Ammo Supply Warehouse, good dude. They got a warehouse in Las... Er, well in uh, Pahrump, Nevada. And they have a warehouse, I think, in Pennsylvania. 
I don't remember which city. But uh, basically what's so cool about these guys is they have two, warehouse, two warehouses, kind of one on the west, one on the east, and they can ship ammo to, to wherever you are, east or west of the Mississippi, pretty reasonably, fairly quickly, and some of the absolute best prices in the industry. And for those of you that are Guardian Nation members, you save an even you save even more, an extra 5%. So yeah, Ammo Supply Warehouse, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com is their website. Uh, for those of you that are Guardian Nation members, you're going to want to log into your uh, dashboard on our site, and uh, the coupon code that you can use to get that extra five percent off will be right there in the dashboard area. So guys, check out Ammo Supply Warehouse, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. If you're not a Guardian Nation member and you want to save on ammo, save big then you need to go to guardiannation.com and join. You got to figure that out right now. That's just like one of like a gazillion benefits of being part of Guardian Nation. And uh, let's see what else. Oh yeah, and today's episode also brought to you by our, our, our instructor network that we have at concealcarry.com. I don't know if, I don't know how many people like realize that we have a vast network of firearms instructors, guys that, I mean, most of them are independent contractors for our company, but, uh, you know, we, we vet these people, make sure that they're, they're decent people, make sure that they're good instructors. And we have classes. We, we, we were just actually talking about this the other day. We do about 250 classes every quarter. It averages out to be like 90 to 100 classes a month that we have going on all the time, all across the country. And you need some training? Well, go find some training. Go to our website, concealedcarry.com, scroll to the very bottom, and you'll see a calendar of all of our classes nationwide. And you can filter that by area. So if you click on the filter by area, you'll see all the states listed where we actually have instructors. And you just need to, if you don't see your, your state listed, hopefully we have somebody fairly close and you can find the nearest instructor and go and and, and, and see what classes they have available, okay? Also, we are constantly working to expand that, that, that network. We want to get instructors all over the place. And so if you are a firearms instructor or if you know of a firearm instructor that you think would be well-suited to be part of our team here at concealedcarry.com, then uh, you know what? Just do this. Uh, you can, there's, there's a link on the website there you know, for instructors where you can learn, learn more. But you can also just shoot us an email, podcast.concealedcarry.com. Say you're interested in being one of our instructors or you know somebody, and we'll we'll start going through the process uh, with you on that. Matthew handles uh, pretty much all onboarding of new instructors at concealedcarry.com. So uh, you're, you're looking at and are hearing from the dude that handles that. So there you go. Yeah, for sure. I can't add anything. It's, uh, it's important, though, because we want to, to get instructors across the country. So... You know, we can offer uh, good classes in, in in any state. So um, keep your eyes and ears peeled for good instructors and, and we'll start them through the process. Yep, for sure. So uh, there you go. Let's jump into it. Today's episode, The Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide, Part 4. I actually want to start, Matthew, by reading just real quick. Um, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing. It was quite a lengthy email. This is actually just a sort of a follow-up. This is not one of the topics we're going to discuss today. But this was sent to us by William. And really appreciate you do, you sending this email to us, William. This was a while back, but uh, we did get it. And I think one of us replied to you. But he says that... Uh, he doesn't know about anyone else, but you answered my question concerning bullet weights versus barrel length perfectly. 
I, I love hearing that, man. I, you know, I remember when we were answering it, I was like, I'm not exactly sure what he's looking for with this, but I think it's this. And I'm glad we, we hit on what it was you were looking for, William. Um, he said he heard a while back that, uh, of some, uh, it was a podcast, uh, another podcast with Masad Ayub, and they were speaking very highly of the federal 147 grain HST rounds. Those are a good round. I can, I can vouch for that. Uh, he was a little concerned though, using the heavier bullet with the shorter barrel of his Glock 26. And he went to Lucky Gunner, like I suggested in that episode that we recorded, uh, episode 262. And I'm very pleased with what I saw there. The chart they put together is very well done. That is true. It re- in fact, frankly, I wish I had thought of what they have done there first and was doing it first because it's now I would just be stealing the ideas. That's why I just send people there because it's so good. Um, he it reassured him that his decision to use the 124 grain HST bullet was a was a good decision for a shorter barrel. Um, I also really like the 150 grain uh, micros they call them for the uh, those are supposedly designed for the micro compact pistols and uh, the, the performance of those is also very good and I, I've had good success with them. Now they don't move that quickly, but they consistently penetrate and expand. So I've been pretty pretty impre- uh, pleased and impressed with the 150 grains as well. Um, he says the way I read it and the way you guys explained it in the podcast is that I can use the 124 grain HST bullet with a shorter barrel, the Glock 26 and get very good and consistent penetration. Yeah. So anyway, he goes on and goes on, but then he also says that, uh, he has, he has had the same experience with bigger guns being more comfortable to carry for him. Similar to me. I mentioned that in that episode. Uh, I thought I was nuts. He says, but if I am, then you must be too. That's probably also true. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, thank you, William, for uh, the kind email and for uh, sending us uh, that over. So that was that was great. Um, again, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. Uh, if you, we, we, I, I could tell you because we can't stop with part four. We have to do at least a part five. If you have something that you want to hear about on the Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide part five, then send us an email podcast at concealedcarry.com. We want to hear from you, and we'll. Uh, We'll at least spin up one more of, of this series. Okay, so Matthew, where, where do we go next? What's next on our list, bud? Uh, we are going to start into our topics. I think we got, what is it, seven of them? One, two, seven three, or eight. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. T- tell you what, let's preview what we're going to talk about. We're going to yeah. talk about dry fire. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about printing. We're going to talk about uh, support hand contact. Uh, different clothes or or. Uh, guns for different weather, um, including in that gloves. We did kind of an episode like a year ago, I think. Maybe it's been two years. I know we did one that was kind of in the winter season where we talked about that a little bit, but we'll talk about it some more in this beginner's guide. Uh, we talked. We were going to talk about today about uh, playing with kids while carrying. Uh, also pepper spray or less lethal options. Consistency or like as far as consistently carrying and vehicle security. We have a really interesting question from a listener there. And then there's one more, and I'm going to hold it back. I don't know if we're going to have time to get to it. If we do, we will. If not, we'll we'll talk about that another time. But um, so the first thing here was uh, dry fire. And Matthew, I'll, I'll go ahead and just take the lead on this real quick. We're probably not going to spend a lot of time on dry fire because we we talk a lot on the podcast about dry fire, like since because the, almost, it's so important. Yeah, almost since the beginning, we've been talking about. You know, it, it, I imagine we've talked about. 
here's the thing. When we've done 286 episodes, I don't always remember specifically like, oh yeah, we did episode such and such where we talked <laughs> about, you know, this one thing really in depth. Uh, but I know for a fact that I think we've done kind of like a dry fire focused episode, but I know just throughout the history of the podcast, we, we talk about it regularly and frequently and always encourage people to be practicing and dry firing uh, or dry practice or whatever you want to call it from from home because it's easy to do it's convenient to do it doesn't take a lot of time like if you do it regularly if you spend a little time every day dry firing practicing then uh you, you could do 10 15 minutes a day and that that's going to add up very quickly as far as it's going to make a big difference for you uh in, in your skill building now obviously you can't work on everything uh, at home, dry firing, but uh, there's so much you can do that makes a big difference. And also, I will say that for some of you that have restrictive ranges where you can't go to the range and move and shoot and all this stuff, well, you can do some of those things at home uh, dry firing. And yeah, it's, okay. not the, it's not exactly the same thing, but but at least you can do it and you can get some somewhat familiar with some of the concepts. You know, maybe if you can find that one range that's maybe it's three hours away and you can only go, you know, once or twice a year to that one range where you can shoot and move and do these other less restrictive things. Uh, if you're practicing those throughout the year dry fire, then then that once or twice or four times a year that you're able to go to that one range, you know, then you're going to be a lot better suited off. Um you know, so that's that's what I would say about dry fire. Like, I don't want to necessarily make this a, a big meaty part of this episode, other than to like encourage our listeners. Like, if you're a beginner, especially, uh, you should be dry fire practicing regularly. Spend some time, make it a part of your routine, your daily routine. Make it part of your lifestyle. And maybe Matthew, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, that maybe you could uh, touch a little bit on maybe what some of the th- other things are that you should be practicing in those dry fire sessions. Yeah. Um, the thing I would add to dry fire is a lot of times people get this idea that dry fire is just like, okay, I have an unloaded gun. I have some point on the wall that's my target and I just continue to shoot, you know, or squeeze a trigger, rack the slide, do it again and again. And, and, and that would be extremely boring after about the first five minutes. Um, so there's so many different tools that you can use that, um, that really help you understand what you're doing while you dry fire. I mean, we've covered them and I, I know we have, but things like the Mantis X or cert training pistols, uh, laser pistols, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff allows you to take your dry fire to a different level. And, and what I think the best thing about dry fire, and if you're, a lot of people think I get this a lot, like why would I dry fire? Because, you know, there's no recoil. It's not the same. And the thing is, is your fundamentals are the same whether there's recoil or not. So if you're practicing grip and trigger squeeze and and how you you perceive your sights and and how that trigger feels in your hand, where exactly it breaks and how much slack can you take up, all that stuff you don't need recoil to learn that and to become really in tune with that. And and once you start doing that stuff and you work on the fundamentals, you go out to the range and you actually apply it and see how it helps instead of going out there to the range and trying to work on grip on the range. It, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit more difficult, more difficult. And that's why, you know, we always start out dry firing, you know, trying a, a new technique or something you, you dry fire it so you can get that grip down, right. And then go out and say, okay, now it, it, it works, you know, you can test it and see what, see what works. But 
um, yeah, dry fires is so important, so integral. And I know that's why we talk about it all the time, because it's always behind everything we do, practicing our draw, practicing moving, um, one-handed draws, all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do on, on the range. You stopped talking while I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I timed it perfectly, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, um, good thoughts, man, for sure. Like, you know, I, I will do all sorts of things with my dry fire sessions. I will spend uh, at least one day a week. I dedicate pretty much solely just to the idea of drawing from the holster and just presenting to the target. Like, I, will, I won't even do trigger presses during those sessions sometimes. I, I, I mean, I I do, but there's times where I'll just, I'm just focused on, like, what I like to do in my dry fire sessions is really drill down specifically to, say, like, clearing the garment just like one aspect. And I'll spend 10, 15 minutes just working on techniques and ways of consistently clearing my garment, uh, whether that's a shirt, whether that's a jacket or a coat. Uh, and, and like that to me is that def- that is what a session should be is where it's focused on one good skill. And, and when I say skill, yeah, we, we generally talk about these fairly broad skills like okay draw from a holster well that's actually a combination of a bunch of different things that occurs right and certainly there'll be times where i just where that that is what i'm doing is i'm i'm actually working on getting that out of the holster and going out and presenting the target sometimes i'm working just specifically on the presentation itself uh but it makes it does a lot of good for shooters to especially when you're new and you're learning and you're trying to figure things out kind of step by step, well, think about those different kind of individual steps and break it down and spend some good focused time, 10, 15 minutes on those sing- singular steps. I'll make a world of difference for you uh, as far as consistency, as far as speed, and all of that. It'll, it'll start to really come together. So anyway, good thoughts there. So make sure, folks, uh, you, that you're dry fire practicing. Like seriously, this in this new year, spend 2019 committed to the idea of 10, 15 minutes, that's that's it. That's all. It, it's not much. It doesn't take a lot to do that. And you can just do it right from home or maybe even sometimes at work. I know people that dry fire at work because they're able to. Maybe they're the boss. Maybe it's their own business. Or they work at a place where guns are, a, are an acceptable thing. And, and I'm not saying like I, I'd be a little bit cautious about, you know, work environment, <clears throat> drawing out your live gun or anything like that. But you might have a cert pistol or something, and dry fire works great with a cert pistol. I do want to mention one other thing, uh, and comments have come up here in the chat on Facebook. Uh, let's see, it was Scott that said, uh, even better than dry fire is cool fire trainer. Um, Coolfiretrainer.com. Love those guys. Love my cool fire trainer. I have one uh, for my Glock 19. It is awesome. And a cool fire trainer, all it is, is a, is a dry fire training tool, but it allows you to practice those dry fire, you know, things, uh, but also get trigger presses and realistic like recoil impulse in your gun. So 
It's a really, really cool system. I won't go into a ton of detail here because we're going to move on, but coolfiretrainer.com if you want to learn more. And uh, I really, really, really love the idea and the concept of the Cool Fire Trainer. In fact, Elke here says, love my Cool Fire pays for itself after about 2,000 rounds or two months uh, uh, worth for me. Got 6,000 shots through it since September. I have no idea how much I have uh, through mine, but it's a bunch and it's just a great tool. He's, he's right about that. It, it pays for itself very quickly, depending on the caliber you shoot. Like 2,000 rounds is probably pretty realistic uh, because... Cool Fire Trainer will run you between $300, $350, and $400, somewhere in that ballpark. It is not cheap, but uh, it, it, pay, it does pay for itself. It will make you a better shooter uh, if you take it seriously and you, you, and you approach it in the right way. And so if, you pay for it, if it pays for itself after only 2,000 rounds, that, I can tell you, is absolutely worth it. So cool stuff there. So literally the Cool Fire Trainer. Good, good thoughts, guys. Um, all right. So let's get now to the next thing, mindset. And specifically, here's how we're going to focus this one today. We talk about mindset quite a bit on the podcast and in various ways. So let's focus this one in the direction of finding your personal why for concealed carry. Take it away, Matthew. Yeah, man. I, I think this is important. I mean, if you listen to podcasts and when I'm on, I'm, I kind of go off on these tangents of like, you know, the the interpersonal relationships that you have with people or or what makes you tick. Because uh, I find, you know, trying to when you're instructing and, and teaching different people, you have to know what makes them tick and why they're out there actually training. So for me, I think it's important um, to look at and say, why do I carry a gun every day? Um, because it's not the same. I mean, we might assume that, oh, we carry it for self-defense, but, but really, do you, do you carry it for self-defense all the time? Do you carry it for, you know, self-defense and the defense of your, your loved ones? Are you, um, you know, do you carry it in, in the context of, are you a security guard or because all these different reasons for carrying are going to cause you to, drive you down a certain path or maybe multiple paths. So, uh, in, into how you train and in, into your mindset. So for me, the mindset is very important. So, um, I, I understand that I carry my firearm. I, I'm, I'm no longer a police officer. So I, I remove myself from, you know, I carry off duty, which would be totally different than now I carry for the safety of myself and my family. And then there's others that I would protect. Um, but when you're thinking of why you carry, it's it's really important because what ends up happening is if you use your firearm in a defensive use or um, something like that, you're always gonna you're always going to question why did you know why did I pull the trigger, and if your fundamentals or your foundation rests on I use it for self defense at, at as the last resort to protect myself my family I'm not going out to be you know a pseudo cop I'm not going out to be a security guard and and get involved in things. I'm using it for self-defense. It helps you more understand that, you know, you're, you're using it for the right purpose. Um, and I, I think that would drive your, your training because it, you know, believe it or not, I see people that carry sometimes, right? And so I ask them, what's your purpose for carrying? And they'll say, well, for self-defense. And I say, well, 
why would you only defend yourself certain times? You know, and, and so if your mindset is that I'm caring for self-defense, then you should carry it all the time because, you know, you, you never know when that could happen. But if your mindset is I just carry because, you know, it, when I go to this specific area or when I, I own a business and when I transfer money at night from here to here, I want to be armed. That's a completely different mindset, right? Because you're only carrying your firearm sometimes. Um, and I think if you start looking at it, then it will drive you to say, why am I only protecting myself sometimes? Um, so for me, you know, mindset is huge because it drives everything we do, right? It d drives how hard you work on the range, how, how much emphasis you put on your fundamentals, because, um, you, you know, it, it's your heart. It's what's in, what are you going to put into this? How much are you going to drive fire? How much are you going to go to the range? Is it important to you? And that all comes from your mindset and, and, and what's inside and what's driving you. Yeah, man. Uh, those are good thoughts. Uh, I would like to expand your minds on that. So like everything that you just said, Matthew is like spot on. Uh, what I would, what I would add to that is like, yes, we need to all know and understand what our personal whys are for why we each individually choose to carry concealed. And then I would ask you to regularly ask yourself that question, why? And ask it in different contexts. So, for instance, um, just to carry a gun is not enough, right? So I would then ask you to expand that and into why do you, why, why will you? Because if you're not already, then you need to make the decision for yourself. Why will you or why do you carry on a daily basis? Why is it a part of your lifestyle and not just something that you do occasionally or when it's convenient? Why do you choose to pursue additional training, especially more advanced, more hands-on live fire training, not, you know, just stuff that's beyond your basic concealed carry courses or whatever your state mandated training is uh, in your particular state? Why do you go beyond that? Why will you obtain uh, some, you know, reasonable level of some medical training, get some first aid, uh, you know, basic first aid CPR type training. Why will you get some physical training, you know, some hands-on type stuff, whether it's martial arts, whether it's jujitsu, you know, BJJ, uh, Krav Maga, whether it's just making sure that you're fit, you know, kickboxing, CrossFit, or just going for a daily run and making sure that you're in the best physical shape that you can be. And we're all in all kinds of different conditions physically, but are we choosing to improve upon that and make ourselves better? Physical skills are every bit about as much as, po as important as the shooting skills. There's so many encounters between bad guys and good guys where physical uh, know-how is is needed as well as far as things some of these fights are it, it's it's more than just drawing that gun and putting shots on target sometimes okay mm -hmm. uh, sometimes yeah. you might not even get the chance to do that so, yeah it, and, and you know what while you were talking it, it it reminded me i don't know if you remember back uh, a couple episodes ago we did the uh a story on a guy that had his gun taken away from him um on the street right and a bad guy, this felon, 
uh, comes up to the dude and says, you know, why, why are you carrying? He, he had a rifle slung. He was open carrying a couple firearms. And when this guy, you know, this, this criminal comes up to him on the street and says, why are you carrying that? And his answer was because it's my right and I carry it for self-defense. But his first answer is it's my right. And that should not be your, your reason for carrying a firearm, right? Because it's your right doesn't, it, it shouldn't be your sole reason for carrying a firearm. Yes, it is your right. And that's important. Second amendment and all that, but strip that away and just look at the answer of I'm carrying it because it's my right. Well, okay. That then if you're just doing it at a show of, you know, solidarity for the, you know, whatever, um, you're putting yourself and other people at risk because your mind isn't in the game as far as I'm carrying this to protect myself because that dude had, multiple guns on him and couldn't use it to protect himself. He got it taken away from him. So yeah. like, you know, it, it, your mindset needs to drive you to, to want to better yourself in using that firearm. And if your purpose is my second amendment rights, you're never going to go down the path of, okay, I need to take more training. I need to do this because I need to know how to, you know, ha have some weapon retention training or something because you never, it never crosses your mind. You're focused on is my right. And so I think that's another aspect of like how your mindset, you know, drives you towards different paths and, and different training. I like this comment from, uh, Steve, actually, Steve here says I'm handicapped, ride a scooter and carry a cannon. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome, dude. Uh, you know, but even for someone that is handicapped or is wheelchair bound or whatever, like hopefully you can find something for yourself today where you improve yourself and you improve your health in a way that's realistic for you. And that's what I'm getting at. Like we, we, we shouldn't just be focused on the act of carrying a gun or even just the act of how to use that gun, but everything. And also working on communication skills, working on what we'd what we, what we would call verbal judo. That we, we need to do an episode just about that, Matthew. Verbal mm -hmm. judo. And maybe we can you know what? Maybe we can pull on somebody from that organization to talk about that. Uh, because that's also I mean that that is just a critical thing. We we just covered the story the other day of the two dads basically. I assume they were because they were at a kid's birthday party or something and they had a fight inside this place and that fight continued out into the parking mm -hmm. lot and before you knew it one dude had a knife i think already out and he went to his vehicle and got a gun and fortunately the other guy appeared to be uh, carrying and he was able to defend himself shots were fired both ways but uh but you know could we have used some verbal judo and by if you're not familiar with the idea of verbal judo it's it's using your words to deflect and redirect like that's probably like that's the big thing about judo right judo like the concept of the martial art judo is taking your opponent's energy and redirecting it and so that's the idea with verbal judo is redirecting somebody's words and ideas and what they're trying you know what they're trying to do in the heat of a moment redirecting them to something more positive and thus by what you, what you said, Matthew, uh, uh, deescalate situation. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, yeah, all those things like, like that's what I would say is expand on this idea of mindset and discovering your own personal why and 
ask yourself that question about a lot of these things and find that personal motivation to get out there and train in all of these areas where you can. I know it's asking a lot, right? But uh, that's, I think that's the, that's what we pick up, you know, as far as when we pick up the idea of concealed carry and carrying a gun for self-defense, we also pick up the responsibility, uh, I think, of a lot of these things. So anyway, uh, all right, so let's uh, move on now to our next thing, printing. So, and we, we talk, we talk about this quite, you know, fairly regularly on the podcast, it comes up, I mean, we... This is a constant uh, uh, concern, I guess, of concealed carriers. Ideally, if we're carrying concealed, we want to remain concealed. Thus, printing would mean that we're no longer concealed. It would defeat the purpose. So, So printing, if you're not familiar, is when you are carrying a gun concealed and generally because of... Uh, the way you sit or stand or move or twist or turn or bend, uh, or maybe just because you've gotten you've chosen a a poor holster or or gun or a poor gun holster body combination, you know it just doesn't work well for you. Uh, in some way, basically, kind of the outline of the gun becomes visible through the clothing. And uh, sometimes we might have like a little sharp corner, <laughs> like w- where I'm constantly at now. Like I, I don't think I ever have the issue where like the whole outline of the gun is visible, <laughs> you know, through my shirt or something. But occasionally you get like a little a little point, you know, that might kind of appear out of place. If someone is really paying close attention, they'd be like, why does that dude have like this pointy thing on his belly or on his back you know mm-hmm. like and that would be also uh you know consider printing a lesser degree of printing but it's still printing and i would say that in most contexts printing is probably not noticed by people in your environs but yeah you know like we want to try to avoid it where we can right so so printing uh, what's your thoughts yeah. on printing matthew yeah, totally agree, man. Uh, I think we spend too much time in the mirror looking at ourselves and saying, okay, uh, you know, I, I can see a little bit of, you know, wrinkle on my shirt right there. I, I can never conceal this gun, right? And so you end up going down getting a, a micro compact gun because you're like, I just can't conceal anything larger. And I, I think, you know, people focus on it so greatly because they know where it is. And so, you know, what I would recommend, and this is what I always do, because I, 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 uh, review a lot of holsters. And so what I end up doing is I'll, I wear it and I'll ask my wife, you know, I wear it around the house because I, I normally am carrying around the house 99% of the time. Um, but like, I'll ask her like, Hey, you know, at the end of the day, Hey, did you see my firearm at all? And she'll be like, oh, no, I didn't even know. You know, I didn't notice. Hmm. And so I know because I've seen it, like even while we're having conversations, I'm standing right in front of her. I know I noticed that, OK, my my shirt kind of, you know, snagged up on the on the grip a little bit or whatnot. And I could see it, but she never perceived it. And and so the majority, the average person is not looking for a firearm on you. Um, and, and, well, most people are so in. In, involved in their electronic devices these days. Absolutely. Right? 
I, I saw it. I, I don't know. This was a while back. I'll try to find the, the episode, but I saw an experiment. It was like a social experiment that these guys went to a mall and I, you guys might've seen this, but they went out to a mall and, and, and they, they actually like concealed, uh, with a, almost like a duty holster. I mean, it was like an, you know, inch and a half away from the, the actual bells outside the, you know, waistband holster. It, it was huge. And they sh- had to stretch their shirt like over top of it. And they walked around the mall for like 45 minutes. And, and it was like one person that w- looked at it and was like, okay, that's kind of weird, you know, but like for the most part, nobody even noticed. And so I'm not saying like hey, you know, wear a spandex shirt with the, you know, Glock 22, because you'll probably be able to see like the Glock emblem through their shirt. But what I'm saying is don't get so worked up around it that it causes you to say, I can't carry or I won't carry or have to carry this gun. Yeah, there is, you know, some logic and you have to, you you know, use some, use some logic when you're deciding, but don't like let every little wrinkle in your shirt, say, keep you from carrying a firearm. At the same time, I will, like, I generally agree, right? Because most of us uh, aren't going to, most of us are not going to places, uh, we're spending a lot of time in areas where the worst of the worst offenders are, are, you know, but so, so generally I agree, right? But at the same time, we do want to be cautious because while the average citizen and the average Community person may not notice or be paying attention. Um, guys that are like truly experienced and hardened criminals, uh, they may pick up on that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, because they they have trained themselves to recognize those kinds of signs, even in their you know opposing gang members or others that they are associated with, because because they live that life where. They're constantly looking over their shoulder, you know, worried that somebody's going to come and hit them on the street. I mean, put, put it, you know, like by hit, I mean like take them out, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they, they are that. But this is the exception rather than the rule, right? Is that type of individual? But they, they're out there. Okay, they've trained themselves to look for those things, look for those cues because they're evaluating a lot of the people they come in contact with to make sure that they are not a threat to them, that they're not from the other gang, you know, that's coming to settle some score or something. Right. So, um, anyway, <laughs> and, and Elke says, uh, right on Riley, not many mean streets in golden Lakewood, but they're, yeah, it's generally true. Right. But, uh, those, those people are out there. Uh, so, you know, generally speaking, it's a good rule to be concealed and remain concealed and try mm-hmm. not to print. But but I'm with you. There's times where I'm like, ooh, I might I may have been printing just now, you know, because I, you know, accidentally bent over a way I shouldn't have or something. But generally don't worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some things, you know, making sure you have a quality holster, making sure that you choose a gun and a holster that works well for you and for your body type. And that's a really complicated thing to get into. And we've talked, we talked a little bit of that in like guide number three and part number three, and maybe even part number two, if I remember correctly, we may have touched on some of these things talking about holster fit and some of the tips and tricks of that. So anyway, just do your best and and choose quality gear so that you minimize your chance of printing. Uh, funny story here from James, by the way. He says, I tucked my shirt in around my gun and went into the store. They were looking funny at me and realized I had forgotten to cover when I got out of the truck. LOL. 
<laughs> were you carrying a small the back or what what method were you using <laughs> we'll see what it says of that but uh, that's a funny story yeah you know yeah like you you yeah i could totally see how that would happen um and actually uh doyle here says he was at the safeway the other day where an older gentleman was walking in and you could see he was carrying a revolver so apparently it was pretty obvious in that case yeah, yeah so Plus, Plus probably the NRA hat with all the bling on it and the the shooting vest probably probably went along with it. <laughs> I see I see a lot of nothing nothing against like you know NRA hats and stuff. I have one myself, but like you yeah. know if, if if you go in looking like you, you you're going to the range, you're gonna draw a little attention as it is. So yeah, yeah. This is a pretty cool way of maybe handling a situation like that where someone calls you out on your uh, concealed carry. Steve says, I got questioned about an imprint once, told them it was my insulin pump. End of discussion. <laughs> That's really ingenious. And and I've thought of some similar things before, too. Um, you know, the thing is, to, in this day and age, you know, a lot of people carry their phones on their hips, especially guys. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think people are probably a little bit more forgiving of some of those things because they may look at that and go, oh, it, you know, it's just a dude's phone. Like, they, they won't even question it. But that's a really, like, if you really got called out, Oh, it's my insulin pump. I mean, I'm not even diabetic, yeah. but I told I would totally use that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good, good stuff, guys. All right, support. So this is the next uh, thing, number four on the list: support hand contact slash grip harder. So let me explain wh- what I mean by this, and this is something I have talked about before and kind of harped on a little bit, but. Uh, for many of you uh, shooters just starting out or just starting to get serious about it. Shooting a handgun is one of the hardest things to do as far as shooting guns go. Like shooting rifles are way easier and, you know, to be reasonably accurate. Shooting shotguns are way easier, but shooting handguns, it's, it's just a totally different thing. Even when I have students come to me and say, Oh, I've been shooting my whole life. You know, I grew up shooting 22s, you know, 22 rifles and stuff with my grandpa. It's like, Well, that's cool. Like you get some of the basics, you get the concept of aiming a gun and, you know, you need to hold, hold generally ste- steady with the gun. You know, and stuff like that. Hopefully, firearm safety translates over. You know, good fire uh, or uh, trigger finger discipline, stuff like that, right? But shooting a handgun is a whole other beast. And one of the things that I see as a consistent problem in shooters, especially as it relates to handgun control, recoil control, um, and being able to shoot quickly and accurately. And by quickly, I mean like faster than half second splits. So like two shots a second. Like when you get into that realm of shooting about two shots a second, you need some measure of of recoil control to manage that gun and to be able to get back on target and in about the same area on that target and being able to fire a follow-up shot or three or four. And the consistent problem that I see is a lack of contact between the support hand and the gun as well as a lack of strength in that grip, especially on the support hand side of things. And so when I work with students, I will sometimes demonstrate to them. I'll put my hand over top of theirs and I will, I will, I will squeeze much the same way as I would when I am shooting myself. And almost every time I get the response like, whoa, like, like instantly, instantly there's a whoa and wow, you, you grip a lot harder, harder than I expected. And I wouldn't say that I'm doing like a massive crush grip, but to some people that that that's 
that's what it feels like to them. Um, here's the thing. Like some people will caution shooters against crushing the grip because yeah, there are, there are, there are, it, it, it's an extreme and I don't see it as being as big a problem, uh, as what some instructors make it out to be, because I think it's actually a, a bigger problem to not grip the gun firmly enough than it is to actually grip too hard. <laughs> um, but, uh, but if we if we put it in the context of like is anyone familiar with a ransom rest okay r a n s o m ransom rest is a product that was developed for testing basically inherent accuracy of handguns and the the whole idea of the ransom rest is that you can place the grip of the handgun in a vice where it, it it's not going to move throughout the time that you're pressing the trigger and you pull the trigger with a cord and so there's like there's no outside influence negatively affecting that gun while you're testing the gun in the ransom rest. The ransom rest holds that gun completely perfectly aligned where wherever it is that you align it initially and you can dial that ransom rest up and down and left and right and all this stuff, right? So you get it lined up on the target and that gun is not going to move. Now the ransom rest does have an arm that allows that once the gun fires it allows it to kind of kick up. Um but but it but but you would just simply reset it back to its original uh, beginning point, and it's going to go back there every time. So it's it's repeatable, and it's going to shoot perfectly accurately. My my point of using a ransom rest is that that vice that the grip is in is a, I mean like that gun is being held very tightly, so so that it does not move in that ransom rest. There is. What what you see is that that ransom rest shoots perfectly accurately every time. So I like to tell shooters, your goal is to try to become like that ransom rest to grip. You know, it's not like we're we're trying to crush this gun in our hands, but you most shooters need to grip way tighter than they generally do, especially with a support hand, because if you can theoretically think about it and realize that if I if I put this gun in a vice and I hold it in this area that I'm aiming on the target and I hold it perfectly still, like even if my trigger control is not perfect, that bullet is going to go where I'm aiming because the grip on the gun is, is immovable. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to get across to students. And along with that, not only the grip strength, but a failure to get good you know, support hand palm contact on, especially on the support hand side of the gun. Uh, so you, you need the strength, but you also need that contact because otherwise that space, that, that area on the side of the gun is just open. And what we see is that where that open area is, the gun will also recoil and kind of turn in that direction slightly. And so instead of getting a nice repeatable recoil impulse, we get something that's a little bit more wobbly and inconsistent. So anyway, good support hand contact and grip harder. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, I have on my desk all the time because I use it reg I use these regularly when I'm just sitting here and I think, you know, uh, probably once or twice a day I go, oh, you know, let's grab the grip master there and let's just do some repetitions. This is, this thing, this is the heavy grip master. This used to be a lot harder than it is for me because you do this a lot and it gets easier and your grip is getting stronger. So, and then I have this other little rubber ball thing and I, I just 
you know, just really, and I'll, I'll use this to work on like this, you know, index finger or middle finger, two fingers. I'll work on the two middle fingers. I'll work on my pinky and my ring finger, you know, and just kind of like roll this through the hand and just work on all those different finger strength things, all those different areas in the hand, um, both hands, left hand. And I probably actually try to spend more time with my support hand and cause my support hand for most of us, here's the thing for most of us, our support hands are our weak hands. I try to not use the term weak hand when in the, in the shooting context, cause I don't like to subconsciously plant that idea that in people's hands that their support hand is, is the weak one, but that is actually the reality for most people. So where you need to spend the most grip strength training is on your non-dominant hand. I'm right-handed. So spend most of my time working on my left hand grip strength. And that will make a huge difference in your ability to control that gun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. I, I can't really add much other than um, what what I would say is if you don't know that your grip is not strong enough, there's an easy way. If you go to the range and you're shooting your gun and in between each shot, you need to readjust your grip your grip is too is is too weak. Um, I see it all the time, and you might not consciously know that you're doing it. So have if you go shooting with somebody, have somebody watch because you might not consciously recognize that after you shot, you're readjusting your grip just a little bit. And if you have to do that, that means you're not holding that gun strong enough because the gun is going to recoil to the path of least resistance, and wherever your grip is breaking down, that's where you know you're going to see. Uh, the gun want to want to go to so um, all those techniques as far as gripping stronger um, tightening your grip getting a stronger you know physical muscle um, building the muscles in your in your forms and your hands um, because we don't typically you know grip very strongly um, through our daily routine um, but there's some things that you can do to to improve your the surface of your gun and, and some of them are you probably see like um, things like talon grips um, that is kind of like a they have, you know, like a uh, skateboard tape type granular grip that you can apply um, or a rubbery grip. Those those actually work very well. Um, the problem let's, is, let's is, talk about that real quick. So, yeah, because yeah. we, we had that noted here as kind of part of this section, Matthew Stipple slash. Like I think stock by the word stock, you were meaning like, do I keep it stock or mm-hmm. yeah. do we stipple it or do we use one of these applied uh, grips like the talon grips or skateboard tape or whatever? So like, what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on, on stippling? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I know a lot of guys that stipple their guns and there's nothing wrong with, and, and if you're not familiar with stippling, what it is, is taking a polymer, the polymer grip of your gun and they heat it up with basically like a soldering iron, but you can use different tips and you get different patterns in, in, in your grip. And it, it, you know, it kind of, uh, gives it some texture and you can get it, you know, very aggressive texture, not so aggressive. Some people just do it. It's almost like for appearance sake, but it definitely does can help with grip. Absolutely. I mean, the more friction that you can put on the grip, the more it's going to help. There is a, also a downside to that because if you're carrying this gun um, and you know it's rubbing against your skin, you don't have a t-shirt on underneath. It's going to eventually be uncomfortable, obviously for obvious reasons. Plus, it can snag your shirt. I, I mean, I have talon grips right here on on the 
P320 that I carry, it has the, uh, the granular grips. And sometimes I know that, you know, it, it, you know, grabs up on my, on my shirt sometimes. Um, but it definitely helps. Like when I grip into that, I can feel a whole, so much more grip. Um, it's so much more strong and, and applied. So those things can help just understand if you, you know, if you stipple your gun, um, and it, it, you know, you're changing it around a little bit. Um, not to say that it, it's going to damage it, but if you're not sure with how deep you're going, you could potentially cause some issues, um, with, with, you know, how your, your gun holds up. So if you're going to get stippled, give it to somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of skilled people out there, um, keeping it stock, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have a good grip, a strong grip. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, anything you can do to add on, I, I, I would say go for it and, and test it out. These things aren't very expensive. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, what I would do is first go with the not permanent method, right? Like an applied grip. Um, see if you like it. And if you want to go to a stippled job, you know, invest the money in it and, and, and you kind of have an idea of what it's going to be. Doyle says, uh, swing a hammer for a living. Problem solved, LOL. <laughs> uh, that's true as long as like you swing it with both hands. And uh, also, uh, Tristan said, uh, what was it? He, he works you know, with a screwdriver and pliers. or He says he builds electrical panels. I'm working wire strippers and screwdrivers all day. Uh, that is also, I mean, I mean, and I have a lot of this grip strength that I have because of all the years of construction work that I did. And that has really helped me build my grip strength. But I will say that even in like the other day I was installing something at our new uh, fulfillment center, warehouse, uh, office, whatever here in Denver that we just, you know, we moved our shipping operations over from Utah and I was trying to screw something into the wall with my left hand working a screwdriver manually because I couldn't fit a little impact driver or whatever in there. And, uh, I know I could do that for quite a while with my right hand, you know, just turn in the screwdriver, turn the screwdriver. And I was doing it with my left hand and <laughs> I got tired a lot quicker, you know, and I'm like, dang it. Like I'm still not quite, you know, like where I want to be with uh, the grip strength of the, of the left hand. Uh, so yeah, good, good thoughts guys. And uh, actually that is something I was commenting too to uh, Anita. She was asking about the grip master. I love the grip master tools. Uh, the, these, these are great. And I also use just the springy, you know, the, the grip strengthening, grip strengthening tools are just like that spring, you know, that you're trying to compress. And, and those like you, you, you run out of, uh, resistance in the grip master line of products pretty quickly. Um, but those spring tools, like you can get some insanely stiff springs. Um, you do want to be careful. Like if you overdo it or if you go like way too heavy, too fast, uh, you can do some some minor damage to some of the tendons and things in your in your forearms and whatnot. So, um, you know, just work your way up. And uh, but honestly, like if you were just to get a two by four and like a good three inch screw, and just work on screwing that screw <laughs> into the two by four, uh, that would seriously do some a lot of work for you on your grip <laughs> on your grip strength to do something similar i have a tool sitting around here somewhere i can't remember even what it's called but it it's you hold it out in front of you with your two uh hands 
It's, it's it's basically it's like it looks like a figure eight sort of thing. It's got two circles and two grips inside those circles, and you reach in there and you grab it with your hands, and it's got resistance. It's got springs where you you basically the idea is you try to twist your hands inward, and you can flip it around. And you can practice twisting outward, and so you're working both directions, and you're basically doing the same thing as you would be if you were manually screwing with a, a screwdriver, and uh, all those things. Anything that builds forearm strength is going to, because that's where the strength in your fingers really comes from, is from those, you don't really have muscles in your fingers, right? You got tendons and things that from your forearm muscles are pulling those fingers in and the hand and everything. So like that's where your strength comes from. Yeah. And and I just want to, before we move on, I just want to address Diane's uh, question. She said, what about wood grips? And that's a Mm. really, really good question because um, so I know some 1911s come with wood grips, revolvers a lot of times come with wood grips. Um, some of those wood grips are checkered or have like a texture to them. So, yeah. I mean, for, for wood grips, if you put a textured wood grip against a textured, you know, uh, um, what do you call it? G10, like it's, it's like a polymer plasticky grip, almost always that G10 grip is going to feel more grippy more aggressive. And so I would say, I know wood grips will look really cool, but if you have an issue where you're shooting the gun and in between you have to adjust your grip and and you're saying, yeah, I'm having a little issue with my grip. Um, and you have, you know, um, removable grip panels go with, try to get a G 10 grip or try to get something that's going to give you a little bit more help in that area because there's nothing wrong with it with wood grips per se. Um, but they, they don't offer the same grip, um, especially, I, I, I mean, when I see them on revolvers, uh, mo- a lot of times they're smooth. And I'm like, man, even with the revolver, you even need more grip, even more, it's yeah. more, even more important. You're giving the user something that's less, you know, not as good of a product. So um, awesome question. Yeah. Um, just look at, look at your grip, see if you yep. need some assistance in that department and, and change out your grips. Most of those, you know, are easily... Uh, bunch of bunch of different companies make it and so it's easy to change them out. I, I am on the side of wanting as much grip grippiness on the grip of the gun as possible as is reasonable. Now on my competition pistol, I have basically skateboard tape. I have basically sandpaper that I'm holding on to uh, because I'm trying to shoot as fast and as accurate as possible in those competitions. So I don't want that gun moving in my hand at all. And when I practice a lot with my competition gun, yeah, it, where it, uh, yeah, I've got some calluses and things in places that you might not expect sometimes, or I'll get really sore in some parts of my hand because you're basically sanding your hand, you know, as you, as you grip that gun, but that's a little too aggressive for like a carry gun, but I still like a lot of grippiness. Now I like to use the P365 as a good example, or even the P320 series of guns. I have, I like the stippling on those very, very well. It's very effective. It's, it's, it's grippy enough. I could almost go a little more aggressive, but it, it's pretty much about right. Um, Glock gen fours, pretty good. The uh, Gen threes, I hate on the <laughs> side. Like there's just there's just yeah. to me like the side of a Glock of a Gen three Glock is about as effective as, and Galen's even commenting about it here as the grip zone from Springfield. <laughs> I, I Galen says he likes the the uh, Springfield uh, mod two line with the grip zone. He says it feels great, and the high hand cutout allows me to have my support hand right on the bore line for less flip. That is true. Does have a little bit of a. Um, 
little bit of an undercut under, under the trigger guard and things like that, which is nice. But the grips on itself does absolutely nothing for me. Like when I shoot one of those things, like I, I feel, even though I'm gripping tightly, I feel that grip move underneath my underneath the palm of my hand when I'm when it's uh, recoiling. So yeah, anyway, it's that's cool. It's cool that you like it. I just don't. It's not 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 the thing for me. All righty. Yeah, Elky says he's got his, uh, the Talon granular grips on his Glock 34. Yeah, that's that's pretty much like similar to what I run. Um, one thing I've noticed is that on the Talon grips, especially if you grip really tightly and it's hot and sweaty, that they'll sometimes start to move around in you. So mm, I'm looking into maybe doing, a, a, what do you call it, the... Mm-hmm. Silicon ox- oxide treatment, where you so there's there's guys that will apply professionally, basically sandpaper like granules to the grip of the gun, and like it's permanent pretty much. And I've thought about doing that on my comp gun. So anyway, all right, gotta move on. Different guns are closed for different weather. Uh, yeah, so it's winter time for most of the people in the country. Um, most for most of us, it means I mean, it's pretty much cooler everywhere you go. But in some parts of the world, like in Florida, for instance, or you know, Arizona, south, southern Arizona, especially uh, New Mexico, uh, most of Texas for the most part, you know, the south to large part, like you, you probably don't have to change a whole lot as far as your carry strategy, as far as how you're dressing and stuff. Maybe you throw on a jacket, but it's not really changing too much for you. But for, for some of us, like right now, for me to go outside today, it's totally different. If I'm going to spend any amount of time outside at all, I'm going to want gloves, for instance. And uh, yeah, that's a challenge. So, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, so the, the fact is, at least for the context of this beginner's guide episode, uh, we need to recognize that we may need to change up our dress strategies a little bit in the cooler weather, in the winter months especially. And yeah, so w- what do you do, Matthew? Like, what changes for you? Yeah, well, I'm looking outside and it's like tons of snow coming down right now. So this is totally appropriate. But um, yeah, so what I find is really interesting is when I have classes during the wintertime and people come out to the range, they have their big Carhartt jackets or they have puffy jackets or whatnot, and, and, you know, and under na- underneath that they're layered with their, you know, hoodie sweater and then they have their shirt. And um, if we are trying to draw out of the holster, they're having tons of problems because they've just never, it's totally new to them, right? Um, Not just to mention they might not have practiced their draw that much beforehand, but now that you're adding layers of clothing, it's so much more difficult. Um, So, and they're like, well, if I didn't, you know, if it wasn't winter time, you know, I'd definitely be, and that's totally true. But um, you have to apply for that because unless you don't leave your house in the winter time, you have to still operate in the winter time. And so one of the things I always say to my, my students is, you know, if you have gloves, by all means, wear them. Because if you wear them around when you're out in, you know, out in town and it's, it's snowing and, and, you know, sub below or sub zero or, you know, freezing, um, then wear them to the range. But if you can't safely manipulate your gun, the gloves come off because number one, you're, you're, you're being, you know, unsafe. It's a safety hazard to have you on the range with mittens where you can't even manipulate the gun. And number two, it's exposing a problem with the gear that you wear. And we think about gears like holster and in gun belt and all this stuff, but gear, as far as like your, your gloves, like I, when I was on patrol and it was San Diego, but at night, if you live in San Diego, you know, in the wintertime at night, it, it can get really, really cold. Yeah, It gets cool. Um, 
Yeah, for sure. Totally. And so I hated wearing gloves. Like I did everything in my power not to have gloves. And I would see some, you know, some of my buddies wearing gloves and I'd be like, dude, have you ever like drawn your gun wearing those gloves? And they're like, oh no, normally I take them off, you know, before I get on scene of a call and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you might get ambushed or, you know, you might have to get out of the car really quick and you don't have time to take That's, you know, so even sometimes cops don't even really think about that, you know? And, and so, um, I think gloves is one of those things that kind of like gets overlooked. And, and another, another thing is if you don't have gloves that allow you to manipulate your phone, think about, you know, you're involved in a shooting or you need to make an emergency phone call and you have gloves on. And you can't even, you know, use your touch screen on your phone to make a phone call. That could be an issue too. And I know they make gloves now that, you know, have that option. So flip phone, buddy, flip phone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You could have a flip phone or (laughs) who has flip phones anymore. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, you can designate someone to call 911, but still, I mean, like think about those things beforehand and, you know, it, it might not be ideal, but you might have to forego, you know, wearing thick gloves in the winter and yep. just, you know, keep your hands in your pockets whenever you can yep. um, and, and have a real thin, minimal glove on. Um, you know, it, it's a trade off. There's a trade off, but you have to know beforehand. So that that would be my recommendation. Yep. Dude, I'm right with you, man. Like I, I, I avoid wearing gloves as long as possible, uh, until it gets, you know, just too cold or too miserable. (laughs) Um, you know, put, put hands in pockets. I even practice, you know, my dry fire in the winter months, uh, putting my hands in my jacket pockets Mm -hmm. and, uh, coming out of those and drawing a gun. Um, I've even seen jackets by the way. Uh, I don't remember who makes them, but, and I don't have one, but, uh, where you can go through the pocket of the jacket inside the jacket and you could actually in theory especially if you're carrying like appendix it would work really well you could Mm. actually go without anybody you know being the wiser you could actually draw uh like through the pocket of the jacket and draw a gun if the gun was small enough you could actually pull it back through that opening it'd probably be pretty risky but or you could maybe take take the chance of shooting through the jacket or something i don't know there's some you know interesting uh things in tactics and and, uh, clothing uh options that you can look into and try but you should practice with all of those. You should get familiar with your jackets, how they work, how they function, uh, what it's like drawing with the jackets or coats on. Um, I prefer, if I'm going to wear gloves, I go with as lightweight gloves as I can get away with. Um, like I'll go, I'll wear like mechanics gloves, you know, mm-hmm. the, the brand mechanics with the X on the end. Uh, those, you know, I'll find some of those that are maybe a little bit heavier that offer a little bit of insulation, but are still pretty, you know, they're kind of optimized, you know, mechanics Mechanics got its thing because making products for mechanics, guys that are working on cars where they need the dexterity of, you know, turning wrenches and, and nuts and bolts and things, uh, but needed something to keep their hands warm. So, you know, a lot of those work pretty well. You need, you need gloves where you can maintain that dexterity, but yet, you know, take, take the bite of the cold away, you know, have a little bit of insulation. So um, my favorite gloves of all time are no longer made and they were a glove from Blackhawk and I can't remember the, the model name but uh, I have one pair left and they're, they've got some some pretty substantial wear on them and <laughs> it makes me so sad because they they were the best glove I have ever found for me you know like enough warmth like I warm on patrol uh, uh, shifts where I'd be like in the cold in fact I had one where I was basically 
we were doing a patrol, a foot patrol near a large event in, here in Colorado in the winter. It was like February, early February, and it was there was snow on the ground. It was cold. And I, I was able to get away with those Black Hawk gloves all day long in the cold. Occasionally, I'd stick my hands back in the, in the jacket pockets and get them kind of warmed back up. But I was good all day long in the cold. But yet, I could I had really, really excellent dexterity with those Black Hawk, Black Hawk gloves. And they no longer make them, which is such... Every time I see Black the Black Hawk guys, especially I'll see them at SHOT Show most likely, they'll be like, dudes, like you got to bring those gloves back, man. Like They were awesome. Um, okay. So, oh, different guns. Do you carry a different gun in the cooler weather, Matthew? Not tip, like not, I, not typically, you know, like not on purpose. Like I don't say, well, I have, you know, I can wear a jacket, so I'm going to carry a bigger gun. Um, I do occasionally have a, like different guns. Like sometimes I may carry a revolver, like in the summertime, if I'm like out and about around my house, like, you know, walking the dog or playing outside and I'm just going to be wearing like, you know, maybe even not a t-shirt on outside or something. I'll throw, you know, a, a, um, a revolver in my, you know, cargo pocket or something like that. But typically I don't pers- purposely carry a different gun based on the weather. Um, and I know some people do and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but, yeah. um, you know, yeah, I would say that, you know, for a while when I was carrying more of like a single stack, uh, I would probably, that would probably be me in the winter. I'd go from like, say a Glock 43 to a Glock 19 or a Glock mm-hmm. 17. Right but now I pretty much always carry a Glock 19 size gun or a 365, which yeah, people might be surprised, especially after review I did, you know, that I'm not carrying the 365 all the time. Um, I do carry it a lot, but I still, you know, there's still an advantage to having a gun that actually fits my hand a little bit better. So the uh, 19 or a 320 compact is still a thing for me. And and I carry, I'm very much used to carrying that size of a gun, a mid-sized, but yet kind of still full-size gun all throughout the whole, the entire time of the year. So, so for me, I don't really change too much. Uh, Sean says training with Riley and Jacob requires gloves as they order super cold weather whenever they train students <laughs> in Colorado. Sean happened to come out for our guardian pistol instructor course in late September <laughs> and just happened to draw the unlucky stick, uh, with like probably some of the coldest weather in late September we've had in a long time. So <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, bud. <laughs> yeah, we were all struggling with that one. They were all trying to shoot their qualification course and stuff and, and really struggling with it. Uh, but you can't make excuses, right? Because you just got to buck up and, and do your thing, you know, because you, you never know the condition you're going to find yourself in a gunfight. Like you can't just go, oh, well, it's cold today. Oh, well, I'll give up. No, you have to you have to push push on through that and and do the best you can, which Sean did and, and everybody. Uh, Eric was in that class and Rob, you know, three of our instructors. Uh, Sean is down there in North Carolina. And uh, Eric Ward is in uh, the Houston, Texas area. And uh, then we had Rob Connell, who is one of our instructors here in Colorado. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Playing with kids. This is a, this is a good one. We had a email, and we got to start kind of thinking about wrapping this up. But um, and I, so I'm thinking for sure we're not getting to that last one we were talking about, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing with kids. An email from Brian. He said... Uh, in fact, Brian may have been watching the day. I thought I may have seen his name. I, I could be wrong. Uh, and this is from about a month ago, Brian. You emailed us and said, I have five kids like you, Riley. This was kind of directed towards me. 
Oh, wait. Hold on. I'm reading mine. Oh, hang on. Reading the wrong thing. <laughs> Riley, he says, this, this question is addressed more to you because I know you have a lot of children. I have five children ranging from 16 to 3. Throughout the years when I get off work, I become a horse or a jungle gym or a wrestling partner or a companion to dance with or jump on the trampoline with. I started full-time carrier this year and have had some growing pains and wanted to hear from you how you handle roughing it with your 12-year-old or being a daddy horse with your younger younger ones. At the moment, I find myself locking up the gun for the daddy play, but sometimes forget to put it back on after. And uh, just for the sake of uh, brevity, because I can tend to be long-winded, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to read to you my response. I said, hey, Brian, I got five kids like you. They range from 12, to 12 years old to eight months old. I, too, am often a horse, a wrestling mate, or daddy monster. That's one of my kids' favorite games they play with me. Uh, <laughs> there are times when I play or do certain activities with the kids, and I leave my gun on. Other times, I take it off. I've just sort of learned for myself what makes sense. One thing I'll point out is you want to be mindful of the hardness and the sharpness of the gun while it's on you. I made the mistake one time of playing with my second youngest, and he hit his head on the slide of my Glock. Uh, yeah, it, it hurt him pretty, pretty good. And I, I really felt, I mean, I, my stomach hit the floor when that happened. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh. Cause I knew as soon as it happened and I knew he was going to be in tears because he hit just like right on the corner of the slide. Since then I have erred on the side of caution. I generally don't forget to put my gun back on, but occasionally I have, I don't sweat it too much. Why? Because what's most important is that you spend quality time with your children and that they are able to enjoy that time with you to the max. Yes, we want to protect them, but we can't be Mr. Tough Guy all the time and fail to develop relationships with our kids. Don't let the fact that you carry a gun get in the way of what's actually more important. So that's where I turn it over to you, Matthew. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, th- I think that's spot on because we have a tendency to be like, you know, you got to carry every day and you never know when it's going to happen. Right. And like we're, we're driven and, and, and it's a, it's a good mindset to have like, okay, I'm going to carry every day, wherever I go, I'm going to be ready. But we also have to do that with some sort of, I don't want to say common sense because it's not the right term, um, with understanding and putting it in context of our lives. And, and if you have the ability to have children, um, you know that it's the greatest gift that anybody could ever have. It, it, it's seriously a blessing. And if you have a supportive wife or a supportive husband and um, it, your family should be the one thing that it, it, it always comes first, no matter what. And that's probably why a lot of times people carry, right, is, is their family and themselves. Um, so if if it keeps you from if carrying a firearm keeps you from spending that quality time, then you're destroying your inner soul for, you know, a potential uh, threat down the road. And and I think like you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, um, yeah, put the gun up and play with your kids and, and be involved in their lives and, and, and you know, um, and then go and put your firearm on when they you know, tuck them in, you know, get them in bed and put your firearm on and, 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 you know, you're back in the swing of things. If you forget, you forget, you know, but, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's so important because we, we often overlook the quality time and, and then we look back and we wish we had more time. I, you know, when your kids are young, you see them growing up so quickly. And, and so I, I, I can't really, you know, I can't add any more, but you, you hit it 
perfectly on the head with that uh, response. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you carry a gun to protect your family and, uh, but, but the reason you have a family is to have a family, to spend time with them, to, to love them and cherish them. And if you're not doing that, then what's, what's the point? So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was trying to get at there. So yeah, we, uh, I think the big thing is try to develop some sort of routine or habit or I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever works for you that reminds you if you've put that gun away for playtime, uh, to, you know, to remind yourself to go and, and, and restrap it on because you are passionate about protecting your family and your kids. Uh, Sean said something about uh, impromptu handgun retention drills with your kids. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, probably not the best idea to practice, you know, just to find out, is my gun going to stay in the holster today? Like that FBI agent uh, dancing, you know, like, <laughs> is, is my gun going to stay in the holster today while I'm playing with my kids? That's probably not the best way to find out. Um, but uh, like I said, I mean, with time and with experience and, and getting familiar with your gun and your holster and the way you carry it, uh, you, you, I, I know kind of like where the limit is. I mean, I, I'm not worried about my gun ever falling about out of my holsters. Like it just doesn't happen. Okay. But, um, because I've tested it, but I, I kind of know like what sort of things I can do with my kids that where I'm not going to hurt them further by bumping into the gun or something. Um, so, you know, I, I know where that kind of that limit is and when I need to go take it off and when it's reasonable and responsible to take the gun off uh, because maybe we are going to get a little bit rougher and I just don't want to take any chances. I mean, once again, these are my kids. The gun is there to protect them, not hurt them, and not take away from my time with them. So there you go. Last thing here, then we're done. Uh, pepper spray and concealed carry. We had a question from a loyal listener. He lists himself. Uh, Hello, gentlemen. Could you discuss your thoughts on carrying pepper spray while also carrying a concealed handgun? I understand the benefits of having a non-lethal means of deterring a violent attack, but what if the use of pepper spray only aggravates an assailant to the point where lethal force becomes necessary? Could I be viewed as having escalated the level of violence? Do I increase the likelihood of being seen as the initial aggressor? What if I'm presented with an immediate, unavoidable, deadly threat and use my handgun instead of pepper spray. Would a prosecutor be likely to use arguments such as, why didn't you use the pepper spray you were carrying? In short, do the pros outweigh the cons? I greatly appreciate your time and consideration on this topic. Now, Matthew, you actually wrote back to him and mm-hmm. with a lot of really great thoughts that I pretty much said, yep, ditto. Uh, so uh, t- you know, tell us what, what kind of your response was to that. Yeah, I'll make it brief, but that is a multifaceted question. There's a lot of different topics in that question, but in general, there's a lot of questions about should I carry, you know, uh, pepper spray? And and I would say on the surface, okay, um, first, before you even carry pepper spray, understand what you, why, why would I carry pepper spray? In what situations would I use pepper spray? Um, you're not going to use it against a deadly threat likely, right? It's not, it's mostly going to be used to give yourself, um, some, some maybe time to, to escape, right? You're, you're trying to create an opportunity, a window of opportunity for you to, to escape. Um, and so it's not going to be, um, used, it's probably going to be used if somebody physically attacks you or, 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 or assaults you. And, and so, yes, it does have a place, but there's so much that goes along. So 
understand there's different types of pepper spray. There's different methods of delivery. Um, you know, there's stream, there's fog, there's actually, you know, powder, um, there's foam and all of them have pros and cons. Think about wind and, and how you, you might end up being cross contaminated with that. Um, those are all considerations. Plus, um, Think about the, you know, how, how are you going to deliver this? We talk a lot about, you know, holsters and being able to practice your draw, but you know, if you have pepper spray in your purse, yeah, it's okay. It's better than none, but drawing that pepper spray might be as important as drawing your firearm, right? As trying to get it out quickly or be able to use it appropriately. Um, and so those are all, all things that you have to you know, don't just go to the store, grab a pe- thing of pepper spray, throw it in your pocket and be like, okay, yeah, I'm totally good. Um, as far as like using it offensively or defensively, um, you know, and, and it being used in court against you or, or I wouldn't worry so much about that. If it's appropriate, if you're using the appropriate amount of force, um, th- then you shouldn't have a problem. Okay. Um, yeah. the issue is, is that, you know, if you, your mentality in using pepper spray, um, as, as let me, let me, let me, let me explain this. Like if you think using pepper spray is going to stop the attacker and, and then you're going to draw your firearm and use, you know, your firearm against the attacker and say, well, he was fighting me. I sprayed him with pepper spray and then I pulled out my gun and I shot him that. Yeah, you're going to have problems with that. Right. Because it, it, you st- individually, you have to articulate why you actually ended up using your firearm after you use pepper spray. Um, and one, one last thing I'll just add in and, and then I'll let you, you know, go on. But I, I read a, a couple of studies because I've looked into this a lot. Carrying pepper spray as a police officer, I, I, I carried it early on. I went away from it because I saw how it affected people. And, and it does help in certain situations, but, the, you know, the application is is relatively small. Um, and yeah, so I, I, sure. I stopped carrying it. Cops um, don't use it. Uh, like they used to, that's for sure. Yeah. And I actually saw a study or read about a study that, you know, they exposed people to pepper spray um, and they were almost all of them were able to still continue to, to, you know, continue the attack. They weren't able to continue it as long as not being exposed. But in, in this, I've been pepper sprayed tons of times. Um, you are still able to fight through it. Now, eventually, yes, it might, it, it's going to cause pain, but you can fight through it. And that, um, that's and, why cops go through the training they go through. And that's why you get sprayed as a cop is so that if it happens to you, you learn how, and you know that you can push through that. And, uh, you think the really hardened criminal bad guy types can't also do that? Absolutely. They do. And I'm telling you, I've talked to, they, they talk about this stuff in, in prison. They talk about how to defeat tasers and, and things like that. And and so they're absolutely training. And, and so it's, it's, it's the mindset of why you're using it. What do you expect the outcome to be as far as stopping the attacker? What are my options when I do use it? Can I get to it? Um, and then, you know, I'm not saying pepper spray isn't, is, is a bad thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying be realistic in your expectations of what, how it's going to, uh, how it's going to work. And in the last question about will it, can it be used as, you know, will it make somebody more aggressive? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there is a potential that you spray somebody in, in 
and it's not so appropriate a time and that enrages them and begins an assault against you. If, but if, but that would probably be in a situation where you're using the pepper spray. I I, I don't want to say inappropriately, but at the wrong, for the wrong reason. Like for example, somebody gets out of their car, they start yelling at you. Hey, why'd you cut me off? And all of a sudden you pull out pepper spray and you kind of jump the gun and now you're kind of more aggressive. You spray them because you're kind of scared, right. but they haven't really right. made any overt actions. And then they get really ticked off and now it's game on. Like you've just assaulted me. Now it's yep. game on. And so in that context, yes, it, it could potentially, you know, instigate the situation. So you have to understand when you're able to use it because yep. it is it is a weapon. I mean, it is no doubt a weapon. So you, you know what? Um, I, I think there's a way that we could try to keep this pretty straight and pretty, you know, pretty straightforward. And I will say before I go on that uh, in during the during Shot Show Week, uh, we have set up with John Korea of Active Self Protection an interview at the HK booth. Uh, so it'll be the second time that John appears on our podcast. And I know John has some really strong feelings about carrying pep- pepper spray as a less lethal option. And I promise I will ask him about to to share his opinions. You could probably go learn on his channel why he feels that way, but for the podcast sake, we'll, we'll ask him that question because I know he has some really good, good thoughts on it. Um, here's what I say. Pepper spray is a form of physical force, mm-hmm. right? When you use pepper spray against somebody, you are using a form of physical force. When are you allowed to use physical force to solve an argument? No, to respond in defense to physical force being used against you. So if you're using pepper spray to solve a problem other than one where someone's trying to beat you up and it just hasn't quite escalated to a point where deadly physical force, you know, a deadly threat is being used against you, uh, then that's the application that I see that pepper spray has. All right. So that that's what we have to keep straight when we are talking about a less lethal option like pepper spray or even a taser. And yes, there's civilian versions of tasers. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about a little stun gun, you know, that you have to make contact with the person. But taser, the company, or Axon, I think is new, their new name. Right. Uh, they make civilian versions of tasers that fire the, you know, the projectile, the little barbs that, you know, work very similarly to a law enforcement one. The difference between the civilian law enforcement versions is is basically range. Civilian ones, like I think, go out to like 12 or 15 feet, and the law enforcement ones go out to like 25 feet. Um, and also the way the settings, like I think law enforcement can see, no, law enforcement one by default zaps them for five seconds, and they can zap them again a couple more times. The civilian right. ones, I think, actually just run for 30 seconds, <laughs> which I find... It's a long of, ride, Oh, man. yeah. Because I think the idea, like what, what Axon or Taser tries to, tries to basically preach for civilians is, hit them with the Taser, drop it, run. <laughs> you have 30 seconds to get away. It's kind of like the thinking. I, I, I'm not sure I'm really a big you know, fan of that. I mean- if it's even effective, <laughs> yeah. like man, tasers are very difficult to use. I yeah. mean, they're not just like, you know, plug and play type device, man. It's, yeah. and I can tell you all different ways to defeat them and <laughs> criminals know. And, and so, 
Yep. That's another yep. less lethal, you know, option, yep. but you understand that, you know, the application of when you can use it and the yep. expectations of what it's going to do to the person. Here's the thing that's different between law enforcement and uh, uh, civilian, right? Like there are times and there are contexts and it depends on, de- on department policy. It depends on statutes, but, but, you know, in many contexts, law enforcement, law enforcement officers are able to use l- less lethal options to gain compliance, you know, when you have a non-compliant suspect that you're dealing with, um, but not necessarily being physically, I mean, I, ideally, you're better off if they're being physically combative, um, but here's the thing, like, as civilians, we should never use less lethal tools to gain compliance, except for in defense of a physical uh, use of force against us. So that's where we got to draw a line. That's where we have to be clear is only using these types of tools when there's a physical threat, but not necessarily a deadly physical threat. As far as the question, would a prosecutor be likely to use arguments such as, why didn't you use the pepper spray you were carrying? Of course, they can ask a question like that. Prosecutors can ask all kinds of ridiculous questions. That's where you should have a really good defense attorney that goes, that's a ridiculous question. And also, if you can articulate clearly the reasons why you did the things that you did, then you shouldn't have a problem with the question like that. If there's reasonable reason why you did what you did, and, and it's clear because of evidence, it's clear because of articulation, it's clear because of the circumstances that you were in, then you shouldn't have a problem with those kind of questions. But once again, make sure that it is like you only use a gun when you have a deadly threat against you, right? And you only use a, a less lethal option like pepper spray or a taser when you have a physical threat against you, right? As long as we keep those things in check and we keep them, you know, appropriately where they belong, then we should have no problem. But one concern is, and Sean had a comment, uh, you know, having a myriad of tools to solve the problem is always better than just one go-to item or technique. I, I generally agree with that, but here's the one risk we run with something like that. And the, the risk we run is the more options you have, and this is a this is a proven principle, the more options you have on your tool belt, so to speak, uh, the more time it takes for you to make the decision about which tool to use. All right. So I actually don't really see much of a problem between a gun and say like pepper spray, uh, because that's that's still a pretty easy decision, especially in the context like what we just talked about. But when we start like having a bunch more tools in that, and cops definitely deal with this, um, then it becomes a little more complex and, and takes more time to go. Whoa, whoa, okay, which tool? Which tool? Which tool? You know, and there mm-hmm. have been, blade or- yeah, and there have been instances where uh, uh, you know people have made, made made the mistake, especially with the use of tasers. Probably not as much an issue with pepper spray, but where they grabbed a taser or had already had a gun in their hand thinking they were going to use the taser and forgot which tool was in the hand or which tool they were grabbing and accidentally shoot somebody when they should have been tasing them or accidentally tasing somebody maybe when they should have been shooting them. Uh, and they get, you know, the cop gets themselves in trouble, you know, physically or whatever. So anyway, um, that's my thoughts on pepper spray and less lethal tools and options. Uh, we got to wrap it up. We're uh, basically 90 minutes in. So uh, yeah, there you go. This is this concludes our Ultimate Concealed Carry Beginner's Guide Part 4. Once again, if you have ideas that you'd like to hear about in our, in our Part 5, please email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, previewing at least a future episode. It might be a separate episode or we might include this in a beginner's guide. Uh, not really sure where it's going to fall in, but uh, one thing we were thinking of talking about today was how to answer 
kind of like gun control type questions, especially questions like about ARs, which are a popular, you know, political thing right now. So, you know, if you, if someone asks you, why does anyone need an AR-15 or, you know, why do you need these kind of guns? Why do you need, you know, more than 10 rounds, things like that? I, I honestly, Matthew, I think we do like a whole episode about that. Um, but it was a question that came in from a listener. And so we'll, we'll get to that at some point. So there you go. Uh, any last uh, parting uh, words or thoughts? No, man. Stay, everybody stay safe, stay warm, and uh, enjoy the time with your family this weekend. Absolutely. I plan to go do that right now as soon as we sign off. Thank you for being uh, with me in this episode, Matthew. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in on Facebook and elsewhere and for being longtime loyal listeners. Or even if you aren't a longtime listener, thanks for being a loyal listener of the podcast. Maybe this week, uh, find uh, someone, a loved one, a friend, a coworker uh, to share and spread the love with as far as, you know, mention, hey, if they're into guns or they're into concealed carry, mention that there's this really cool podcast called the Concealed Carry Podcast. And if they're a beginner, you can point them to episodes 138, 252, 262, and now 286 for Beginner's Guides, parts one through four. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, one last thing. Remember, Ammo Supply Warehouse, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. Guardian Nation members, use your discount, GuardianNation.com, if you need to sign up to become a Guardian Nation member and get awesome benefits, including save big on ammo. And... Uh, also, our instructor network, check it out. Go to our concealedcarry.com main page. Scroll down to the bottom. Check out our list of courses everywhere across the country. And finally, rem- 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 remember to uh, check out our YouTube channel and Facebook page and follow us throughout the week of SHOT Show that begins. Basically, coverage will begin on the 20th, I think, of January. We'll, we'll probably have our first uh, videos and things up on the tw- on probably the evening of the 20th. So it'll be a great time. Everybody take care, be safe out there, and a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.